Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Emerald Sports Desk Report, it's episode seven. And we have a lot to get to. Um, we got Nina back with women's volleyball and a little women's basketball as that season is getting started. Uh, they had they had a, a exhibition game this past week, and they have a few regular season games coming up. Um, we'll start with women's volleyball, Nina. Uh, you know the girls are still rolling; they're on a five-game winning streak. Um, just take us through their their past few games. I know you touched on two of those games that were part of the five-game winning streak last time, but they played two more against the Arizona schools. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things to note is that Hannah Pukas is back from an injury. Um, she left a little bit ago. I don't know what the injury was, but you could tell the team was because they were getting used to her because they it, from the beginning of the season they kind of made it known that she was going to be their starting setter. And then Elise Ferreira came in to take her spot. And just as it is when there's an injury and one of your core players is out, it takes time to adjust to the new new setter and all this type of things. Um, so that was I would say contribute to a couple of their losses early on and then they finally started to find a groove um, and then she came back for the ASU game and to continue their five game winning streak so she's back which is really notable and a big win for them yeah that's that's interesting most of the injuries that happen in Oregon aren't really uh, let known by to the media or to anybody um, but you know they have a lot of depth so they were able to to, to take care of that injury and that's something that they haven't had in the last few years um so that's kind of the difference that i'm seeing with this team and now that they have bucus back i think that they'll just continue to roll do you agree with that i do agree with that and i she was on the bench dressed every game um she was sitting the entire time though so i don't know how serious the injury was but like you said they didn't disclose what it was or there wasn't anything about it um but i think it just kind of shows how important she was as as her first year on the team mm -hmm. And you said last time that the, the game against Washington was the game that you were looking forward to the most uh, covering. You won't actually be at that game. Yeah. But, you know, what what can we look forward to next weekend with Washington and Washington State? Because Washington's a highly ranked team, just like Oregon. Yeah, I think it's still going to be competitive. I'm really excited to see if they come out on top because, like I mentioned last time, th they pushed. They pushed until the very end, and it got taken away from them within the final few points. Um, so I'm excited to see if they'll bounce back. I really think they will because only like the biggest injury that they had was Pukas, and she's back now. So yeah, I just I'm excited to watch the game. Hopefully, I can. But mm -hmm. since going to Los Angeles, all of Oregon's games have been either four sets or three sets. So I assume Washington will push them to four or maybe five. How do you think they'll respond after having a few, uh, I guess, lesser opponents in the last few weeks? I don't think it's really going to be an issue because they have had a lot of five sets um, in the beginning of the season. Even in the Big Ten Pac-12 challenge that they had previous, uh, few months ago, they were all pushed to five. And from what my knowledge, I know that this is the most I've also played five sets. So I don't think it's going to be an issue. Awesome. Awesome. So moving on to women's basketball, the season's just getting started. And already the Oregon women's team is dealing with kind of a bump in the road. Their starting center, Sedona Prince, uh, is out for the season with an arm injury, and in, you know instead of I guess exercising that medical red shirt kind of, she decided to take her talent or declare for the draft essentially. So what are we what are we looking at with Sedona, and how do you think this will impact the team after you know they lost Nyara to the draft last year too? So it seems like their 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 front court is a little depleted. Yeah, um, it's definitely a huge impact. We kind of saw it with the final score of the game against Carroll College. It it was a big win, but it, 
I mean, we've seen in the past how much they've destroyed teams like this. And it still was, I think it was 20 points, which is not a lot for Oregon compared to a smaller school. Um, But they do have some of the best recruiting in Pac-12. Pac-12 in general has some of the best recruiting. So I think they'll be able to overcome it. It's just right now adjusting to that loss. Yeah, before we get to that, because I know you were writing about that. Uh, just want to stay on this for a little bit. I think uh, Oregon's going to have to rely on their guards a lot this year. Tahina Pow Pow and Dia Rogers. They have a lot of good guards. They have um, players coming off the bench as well. So I, I do think they'll be able to soften this blow with the guard play. But I still think that the the first part of the season is going to be seeing, you know, uh, can anybody ste- step up at the center position? So do you think there's anybody who can fill that role? Maybe, you know, can't fill the shoes of Sedona and Nayara completely, but maybe, you know, make up for it in the short term? There isn't anybody that comes to mind, but we also seen in the past when just basketball in general, that small ball does win. It is successful. And even though with like Sabrina and Ruthie and all them, there is still like that dynamic between both of them I think we've seen it in the NBA especially that you can be successful with a small ball game and so maybe it's just trying that out if they can't fill it in time one player I do want to mention is they have Filipina Che and she's six foot eight uh sophomore who's one of the most raw players I've seen for Oregon she had a lot of flashes last year when she would come off the bench um in in blowouts and I mean, it, it, just thinking about it, it's tough to guard a six foot eight player women's right. basketball. Yeah. So she does have a lot of potential, and I think that she will have her games again. You know, she's she she is not the greatest finisher around the rim for her height, but she she's very you know aggressive and knows where to be. I think her positional awareness is, is good, but I I definitely think there are some things that could fix her game. But she'll have the opportunity this year to show it with you know those centers being out. Definitely, I agree. I'm excited to see what she does. Awesome. And then moving on to your uh, recruiting piece, this is what you're writing for our Duck Season Edition. What are some of the, I guess, recruiting stories that you're looking at coming into the season? Yeah, so kind of like I mentioned earlier, Pac-12 women's basketball recruiting rankings are at an all-time high right now, which I think is just notable in general. There are two things. Um, UCLA, they've always been really good recruiters. They had a number one recruiting class in 2014. And even though this class isn't number one, it's still ridiculously ranked up there um so they'll be fun to watch in the season and then we also have some really high ranked recruits too we have two all mcdonald's all-american guard we have a guard her name is chance gray and then we have a forward grace van sluten so just seeing those two play i'm excited i honestly after the top of my head i can't think of another all-american we had within the past couple years or so um but i do think this is going to change basketball and it's going to be exciting watching these games going forward Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Nina. You have a good one. Thank you. All right. Now we welcome in uh, Brady and Jack and Brennan for the next portion of this podcast. And we'll have a little men's basketball talk as like the women's basketball team. Their season is right around the corner. They have their first game on November 7th. And then we'll get into some football. We have a lot to cover on football as we usually do uh, on this podcast. But first with the men's basketball, a few things that I want to get into. This Oregon team that kind of collapsed towards the end of last season, they lost in the second round of the Pac-12 tournament, didn't earn a spot in the March Madness tournament as they have the past few years, and then lost in the second round of the NIT to Texas A&M, I believe. And it was in blowout fashion. So just kind of going out in an explosive fashion and 
it seemed like Will Richardson, the the senior point guard who didn't play towards the end of the season because he had mononucleosis, was going to leave the program and pursue a pro- professional career. He had a few workouts with the Lakers, I, I remember, and it, he just probably wasn't going to get drafted, so he decided to come back. But this team is kind of has has to make up for that last year. But Brady pointed this out to me earlier this week when we were talking. Even with all of what happened at the end of the last year, they ended up losing Jacob Young, uh, a transfer. They ended up losing Davion Harmon, two of their starting guards who averaged double-digit points. They're still a top tw- uh, 25-ranked team at 21. They added Colorado transfer Keyshawn Bartholomew. They added uh, Jermaine Cuisinart, another transfer, and a, a top-20 recruit in Kalel Ware. So a few big-name ads, but still a lot of questions to answer from last season. So let's get into the transfers first. Bartholomew is going to come off the bench as their sixth man behind Will Richardson, and Cuisinart is going to start at shooting guard. What what do we think of this team? And Brady, I'm going to go to you first because you were talking about this respect aspect. Why do you think this team is ranked so highly after what happened at the end of last year? Well, I think part of it is that Oregon is a national brand. And, I mean, we, we see it with football and we see it with basketball and we see it with women's basketball every year. You start the year ranked. And then some stuff can happen. You can fall out. You can come back in. But Oregon is Oregon's like Texas in football. No matter how good the team is, the team's going to be ranked. But also, I feel like a lot of us last year, we, we were disappointed because the, the talent was there on the roster, right? That, that was a solid, solid men's team that just kind of fell off the rails there at the end, ended up not making the tournament, playing in the NIT, but still a team that, that demonstrated its ability to win big games. And for the most part, that team is somewhat intact and adding on, like you said, a couple of big transfers and a big recruit could still be a spark for this team and they could still make a good run but I think a lot of that ranking honestly comes from being a national brand yeah that's a good point I think uh you know they're ranked everywhere every year like you said Texas is in football but I think the beginning of the season will be very telling on if this team is for real or not and if they can mesh with the new transfers Altman likes to bring in a lot of transfers every season and it worked last year for the most part until the end of the year with Harmon and with Young and with Quincy Gurrier, who's another player that is returning. Um, one thing that I noticed about this team when I went to their uh, press conferences the last uh, few weeks was that uh, they're healthier right now than they were at the beginning of last season. Richardson, Gurrier, and Enfali Dante were all out with injuries at the training camp last year, and they're all you know, starting the year with the team. And they talked about how those three guys are the leaders on the team, and they're all the upperclassmen. They're all starters. They'll have the ball in their hands a lot. And I think that one um, thing that I'm going to be looking at early on is how that uh, relationship between Dante, who's an upperclassman with freshman Kalel Ware, you know, a highly ranked recruit, how that works out if they play together. You know, I think Ware's going to start the season on the bench behind Dante because Dana Altman likes to start his upperclassmen. But, you know, Ware is a raw prospect. He's 7-1. He can block shots. He can go up there and get some alley-oops. So I think that he he can have a bit, big impact on this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to see more of Kalel Ware. One transfer uh, we didn't mention yet was Kepnong who towards the end of last season, after Richardson kind of, we had some guys go down, they put in both of those guys. And that was actually, I believe, the lineup they rolled out when they beat USC. So to see both bigs out there would be cool. I think you're going to see a really different team, though. We mentioned last year how there was talent. You know, Jacob Young, Harmon, they scored points. The team never just really meshed. So bringing in a lot of these transfers, I mean, it's always difficult, but 
I'm hoping the result will be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think you make a good point with Kevnang. You know, he 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 transferred out of the program, but he played a lot of big big minutes in big games. I think Ware's a better player than Kevnang was. He he might be more raw and he's younger, but I think he's just as good, if not better, of a shot blocker. He's a much better passer. He sees the floor really well, and I think that he can have like that 17, 18 footer that Kevin just never really had. And one thing I was surprised by was Dante kind of has that in his game too. Um, at least in practice, he he has the confidence to take that shot. So I think that you know having that 18, uh, 17 footer in in college is kind of like having the you know, the, the stretch big in the pros because you can have Richardson, who's a, a slashing guard who can drive and um, then kick it out to Dante. And instead of having him in the dunker spot, taking up space, he can, you know, hit that little jumper. And I think that will add another aspect to the game. One thing I want to touch on before we get in football is that the basketball team having open practices this year is something that I've never, you know, had the chance to attend beforehand. The last few seasons have been muddied with COVID and I'm very excited to make the most of those, you know, opportunities to go interview players and to watch them practice because unlike football, I think that they don't put on a show for media. Altman kind of was yelling at one of the players, and I don't think that they would do that in football because they wouldn't want to create a narrative that Lanning was, you know, mad at a player. But I think that those practices will be fun to watch. I got to watch basketball practice for 45 minutes last week. Um, that's not something I get to do a lot, you know, for a top 25 ranked team and report on it. So that that's really cool. And that's an aspect that I'm going to make the most of because it wasn't available to me in the past few years. Um, we'll move on to football if nobody else has anything on basketball. Uh, I will just add this in for basketball. Chris Duarte yesterday, first 30-point game ever in his career. So props to him. Yeah, for the Pacers, I saw that. He's he's a bucket for real. Uh, we got some good products. Boucher's playing pretty well for the for the Raptors, Brooks. Um, yeah, for sure. So let's get into football. I know you guys have been waiting for this. All day. We have a lot to, to talk about. This was going to be something I brought up later, but I think we need to check on it first. Just I want to see how you guys are doing. Broncos fans, we have two here. Bradley Chubb got traded for a first-round pick today, and Chase Edmonds. How do we feel, Brady and Brennan? I thought we were feeling good. I just wanted to use that. Yeah, no, I, I do feel I, good I, about I it. Yeah, I feel great about it, you know. I mean, they're not in contention this year. We know that. It sucks that they're trading Chubb now that now he's that he's finally producing. But they need draft capital after that rush trade. Uh, we're deep at outside linebacker. You got guys like Baron Browning, Randy Gregory. So... Uh, I I like the return and best of luck to Bradley Chubb in Miami. And uh, also, you guys just traded for Jacob Martin, another uh, outside linebacker, yes. edge rusher from the Jets, who should provide good depth. Yeah, no, I I liked it. Um, it's it's a bummer to see Chubb go, but you weren't going to pick up his option at the end of this year, so getting something out of him for the trade was was good to see. Do you think Bradley Chubb's worth a first rounder? No. That's what I kind of got the sense with, but I do think, and I was talking about this before the show started, that the Dolphins are the perfect team to target because they are talented and they have a good record and they have first-round draft picks. It's like the Pelicans in basketball. Right. They're right. a talented team. They have you know contending uh, aspirations, but they have a lot of first-round picks to trade. That you know they they've used them pretty well. And maybe Bradley Chubb is worth a late second rounder or a third rounder, but. You know, that's what the asking price was from the Broncos because they knew who they were asking. And that's good from the Broncos. That's good from their front office. But the Dolphins have used those first round picks to trade up to get Jalen Waddell, to go get Tyreek Hill, 
and to go get Bradley Chubb. Those are three of their core players now and who are going to help them maybe make a, a, a championship run this season. So I do think that's, you know, good for them. A few more things to touch on just because I, I, you know, I had fun today with the NFL um, trade deadline and it was it was pretty exciting exciting to see the back of running backs get traded all over the place. Um, I th- Bill's not getting Naheem Hines for a sixth rounder is oh, is crazy, yeah. right? After hearing about the he's Kamara, a good player. Yeah, after hearing about the Kamara rumors, that was that was a little underwhelming. But yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're definitely Josh Allen heavy, very reliant on him. So to get some backs in there to alleviate kind of the the weight on the pass game, mixing some run is going to help them in the playoffs most definitely i wasn't in love with the with the uh, heinz trade i've been waiting for james uh cook to kind of take off brother of dalvin uh, i thought he fit that third down back pass catching role pretty well um kind of sad to see that uh heinz is going to take that from him it's a fair point i agree with you i think he's probably a slightly more dynamic player than naheem heinz is but i think with the bills where they're trying to go this year they want to know what they have it's more of a known commodity fair Two things two things I want to touch on before we move on. The Rams and the Packers were quiet today. I mean, I feel like Packers more so their season is kind of trending in the wrong direction just because the, you know, the Vikings are leading their division at 6 and 1. Their receivers are awful and uh it's just not looking as great. The Rams have more of a chance in the division. That's why I was a little surprised to see them not make a move, uh especially at running back, but yeah, what did you guys think of those two teams staying mute? Man, I was shocked from a Green Bay's perspective. If they can't get any help around Aaron, he's going to retire after this year. Um, they probably could have gotten Brandon Cooks, above average receiver, probably number one, second round pick. I don't know why they didn't pull the trigger. You never do. Yeah, I can't really explain the Packers, but the Rams, I mean, they're not working with a lot of draft capital right now. So you, I don't know. I mean, I know they have that that F them picks kind of mentality, but they don't have a lot of picks right now. So, you know, eh, maybe they just, I don't know where they were shopping around. I know Brandon Cooks was mentioned for a lot of teams, but they just didn't feel that the price was right. I also have an interesting uh, rumor for the LA Rams. Apparently they wanted uh, Brian Burns, edge rusher from Carolina. They offered two first round picks. Carolina still said no. Wow. I mean, Brian Burns still has a few years left on his contract, so it's probably like they think they can get more from him later. Also, I think Carolina still has like pieces they want to build around, and Burns is probably one of those guys. Of they mentioned DJ Moore as one of their cornerstones. So while they were, you know, selling guys, I don't think it was a fire sale like people were men- like Christian McCaffrey's twenty eight years old. So I think that's why they traded him with a massive deal. Yeah. So, anyways, we'll move on from that. I think the first thing we need to talk about is, you know, CFP rankings just got announced. Oregon, just like in the AP polls, number eight. Tennessee is number one, right, guys? That's right. It's just kind of ironic in um, preview of their game against Georgia this week because Georgia was number one in the AP poll. So, I mean, I don't know how much these players, like, pay attention to this this early on with the CFP, but do you think that, you know, this will put a chip on the shoulder of Georgia players after being ranked number one all year to being dropped down to three? Um, I think that for both of those teams, the path to the college football playoff is obvious. Just keep winning. So I don't think it makes that big of a difference. Like you said, it's the, these rankings are somewhat irrelevant until the final ranking. <laughs> but I think Georgia's just ready to go beat Tennessee. I think Georgia wins this game by three scores. 
three scores. Yeah, three scores. Wow. That is a uh, bold. I, I don't know if I can go that far. I think Tennessee by far has the best win of the year against Bama. They do. Um, I think that's undisputed. So to hear this three touchdown margin you're talking about, a little surprising. Do you think that you know how did how did Georgia getting bumped down to three affect Oregon? As we are Oregon reporters, and their law, only loss on the season is to Georgia. Not much. It it really didn't. As long as Georgia is undefeated, mm-hmm. that loss to Georgia, that Oregon's loss to Georgia looks the same. Mm-hmm. Um, once Georgia starts losing games and has losses on the record, now Oregon's loss looks even worse than the forty nine to three blowout. But as long as Georgia's undefeated, it really doesn't make a difference. Yeah, I agree with that. I think you know Oregon's got to keep rooting for Georgia to win. Going on to the recap of Oregon's game against Cal. This was a game where Oregon started out a little slowly, you know, went down 10 to 3, but the offense kicked into gear after the first quarter. What did you guys see from from this game and it, it kind of just seemed like another chance for Oregon and Bo Nix especially to pad their stats. I mean, we kind of knew what we were going to get going into this game. Uh six more touchdowns from Bo Nix. They continued to run the ball well. They did what they were supposed to do, went down there, got the win. Bo Nix is still not a Heisman contender in my eyes. Uh, but I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Jack. What, what did you think? Uh, yeah, um, I thought the Ducks played well. I can't lie. There was definitely a scary moment in the first quarter when we were down 10-7. Past years, I don't know if we win by as much as we did or if we win at all. Um, but, you know, um, great win for us. I don't think it really Im- improves the outlook on our season. Um, we're exactly where we need to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It was it was a fine win. I mean, they covered. And we all know good teams win, great teams cover. But uh, the, there was they covered by point five. But they covered. They covered. Uh, but 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 my but the, my point is the one thing that, that kind of stood out to me that was actually a little bit shocking. Um, last week we were sitting here talking about how great the Dan Landing play call has been and how how he's going for these gutsy decisions and it's been cool to watch. Two Complete decisions to go for it. Um, once on fourth and four on the Cal like. 20 and then the other on a fourth and one why i didn't understand just kick the ball get some points especially because one of them was on the first drive of the, yeah in the first quarter i mean it was it was zero zero just get on the board and take your points so like it, it's fun to have a, a coach that's gonna be gutsy with the play calling when we need him to be but that's the key is we need gutsy play calling at the right time yeah, well, yeah. He- i think a zero zero game against cal on a fourth and four take your yeah. points well i mean he got a lot of validation after the onside kick a lot of praise. I, yeah, we definitely don't want a head coach who kind of overthinks things. Um, in a game like Cal- against California, with I, I don't know what the score was at when on those. It was zero. The, the, the first one was zero zero, and it was a fourth and four. Like just just take your points. Yeah, you know, I, I yeah I can't really defend. That. I slightly disagree um, with the first one. I I just think like from from Lanning's perspective, and he's talked about this time and time again, like. This isn't something that he decides on the fly. This is something that they've practiced before and that, you know, if this is a scenario that comes up, if we're going to get a fourth and short on first on our first drive, we're going to go for it to set the tone. He's talked about uh, about these scenarios before and practicing them. It's not just something that he's like, oh, let's just do it because we want to. Sure, but and, fourth and four? Yeah, I don't know if you can call a fourth and four short, short yeah. honestly. It's a big Four, risk. I'm sure you have four yard plays in your playbook. I'm that, sure you, that you do. Go to, but you also have a, a a kicker who hasn't missed yet this year. Uh, that's fair. What I'm what I'm trying to say is, I think this is a game that Landing was, you know, certain that they, you know, had the upper hand in in terms of talent, and this is 
you know, not just a statement against Cal, but a statement, you know, against the rest of the Pac-12 that, you know, we're not going to we're not going to just take the points in all the scenarios. Maybe, you know, if it's fourth and four in the third quarter down by four points, we're also going to be able to go for it. So I, I just think that this is, you know, not just it's a case by case thing. Like this is something that he prepares for. And I think that he was setting the tone against Cal and sending a message to the rest of the Pac-12. So. I don't hate that one. The fourth and one later in the game was a little a little weird, but I do think that first drive, still 0-0. He's not chasing points. I think it's good to set the tone. I, I disagree. I liked the going for the fourth and one more just because it's a shorter distance. And, and it, it did show a little bit that, hey, I'm, I'm not worried that we didn't get the fourth and four. I'm still willing to go for it on fourth down. Now, neither of the times did it work, and that's a little bit concerning. And I think Oregon was up fairly handedly when they went for the fourth and one, like, again. That's why I'm saying I didn't understand that one. But but I I don't hate the idea idea of, hey, the first time we went for fourth fourth down didn't work. That doesn't mean we're going to stop doing Mm -hmm. it. Um, So I I, I do like that. But, I mean, I was was just sitting there with my roommates, and we're looking at this going, why? Why? I say this as a Chargers fan who watches a team go for fourth downs. But without a plan, uh, at least Lanning has a plan when he does it. We can agree to disagree. I liked the fourth and four call on the first drive of the game. I've learned to kind of be okay with that as a Chargers fan that, you know, he, we're going to go for some uh, for some fourth downs that maybe I don't agree with, but they do have a deeper meaning than just getting that one first down. Moving on from the Cal game, I don't really want to talk about the Colorado game. There's not much to talk about. I want to talk about the remaining schedule um, of Oregon's of Oregon season. There are three games against ranked teams now that Oregon State is ranked in the in the CFP in the CFP uh, playoff. Aren't they ranked now? They are. Is Washington, but Washington's not. Okay. If Washington, I was kind of assuming if Washington beats Oregon State, they will be ranked after this game. They're yeah, but then Oregon State, State won't be. That's fair. <laughs> That's the Pac-12 for you. That's Pac-12. That is Pac-12. Okay, but three three games against three of the better teams in the Pac-12 for sure. So. If Oregon runs the table, they have as as good a chance as any with a Pac-12 championship win to make it into the, the CFP playoff. They're going to need some help from other teams losing in front of them, probably TCU, probably a few others. But what do you think about the remaining schedule for Oregon? I, I think that, they, that they're sitting in a, in a nice spot to at least make the Pac-12 championship game. Because Utah and USC and UCLA already have a loss, Oregon can likely afford to lose one of these games and still make the tournament, especially not, not, they not, the, tur- not the tournament. UCLA. Sorry, right? Not not the tournament. Sorry, um, the the Pac-12 championship. Because, like you said, if if they're a, if they end the year with one loss, if they win, if they end the year with one loss, and UCLA ends the year with one loss, that would a put USC at two losses, and make them irrelevant. And b Oregon would have the tiebreaker over UCLA, so they'd be in. And they they, they have a little bit of wiggle room. That being said, I like their chances in all of these games. Utah still scares me for obvious reasons. Um, we kind of had this this thought last year. They, they they blow out Oregon once, and you go, all right, well, it's really hard to beat a good team twice. And then they rolled Oregon again in Vegas. So something about and that, that team's pretty pretty much intact still. So I, I know there's new coaches, and the Oregon team has changed, but that's still a good Utah team. So that one's a little concerning, but that's what I'm really excited is in Autzen Stadium. They have all their uh, toughest games in Autzen. You mentioned it. and all, that's uh, Yeah, all that's, their toughest games this year were That's in a good thing. Their ro- their, yeah, their Pac-12 road games this year were Wazoo, who's currently 1-4 in Pac-12 play, um, Colorado, who's a joke, Cal, who's a joke, 
and so, Arizona, yeah. who's mm-hmm. not hot. So the, it, definitely a favorable schedule this year. The outlook for the rest of the season, I like them in each of the games, but it's definitely going to be tricky, and it's going to be unlike anything we've seen this season. Yeah, the fact that you get Washington and Utah at home is really reassuring. But the game that scares me the most, I think, is Corvallis. I, I think Oregon State's a really good football team. They're just missing a quarterback. Fair. I think it's tough for them to play for behind, from behind. If they get down at all in that game, that's a game where you could see Oregon going for, for on fourth down early in the game. Rivalry game, on the road, knowing they have a better offense than the other team, but defense that could hang. I think that Oregon State, it's really tough for them to play behind if Chance Nolan is the starter. And I think that you know Dan Lanning is going to use that to his advantage. Yeah, I'm most scared for this Utah game. Uh, it's so important to get a win, not just for the season, but just for this for the players' pride at this point. Most of the team from last year still here. Uh, we lost twice. We got our butts whooped twice in embarrassing fashion. We just can't have that happen again. Well, I, I agree that that's the most important game, but but for a for a different reason. Um, if you beat Utah but you lose to a Washington or an Oregon State on the road or a Colorado. It um, it. Yeah. It, it, you still have that tiebreaker. You then have a tiebreaker over UCLA and Utah, um, whereas USC would be the only other team that's really in contention that you haven't played. But having those two tiebreakers and only one loss, I think it, 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 it takes you out of the college football playoff because no two-win team is going to get there. But I think that it cements you for a spot to play for the Pac-12 championship, which therefore gives you a chance to play in the Rose Bowl, the big New Year's Six game. Hmm. So before we end the show, just one thing to touch on because it is important. Seven McGee transferred out of the program. He hasn't found a new home yet. Uh, this is something that was very interesting to me after we went through spring ball where McGee was one of the you know key players on this offense. He was kind of used in a gadget way. You know, he was he was recruited as a running back, but he was being used as kind of like a slot receiver uh, in trick plays and pitches kind of all over the field. He and, and as and as a punt returner, too. It's just interesting to me. And I personally saw kind of a moment of uh, disagreement between Bo Nix and Seven McGee after. He dropped a pass late in the UCLA game that had no, you know, effect on the game. Oregon already had it in hand, but Bo Nix kind of went up to seven and was, you know, kind of in his face. Like, I don't know what they said. Maybe, you know, the pass was slightly behind seven, but maybe he ran the wrong route. You know, maybe it was an option route and they were off. Uh, I don't really know. I can't really test that, but I did see them, you know, arguing or or at least talking about it. Um, And that was all. And he just doesn't get on the field. And that was after the spring game where he scored two touchdowns. So it, it's just interesting to see kind of how he's been taken out of the offense. Yeah, no, I, I think he's just. I think he was just unhappy. I mean, I, I touched on it a little bit yesterday. He he was listed as Oregon's eighth wide receiver on the depth chart, the third punt returner, but the lead kick returner. Like he just wasn't getting the touches that he felt he deserved. So yes, he had stats as a wide receiver and a return man and a running back, but he didn't have overly impressive stats in either of those. But in general, I just think he was unhappy here because I actually saw him and a wide receiver who I believe to be was Troy Franklin, um, out just on the on the streets of Eugene the other day and seven mcgee was screaming his head off at someone I, I don't know who it was i don't know what the situation was we were just driving past there was some sort of altercation happening with seven mcgee and i'm just wondering if some of that like anger and the frustration that he's having with the football team is carrying over um into personal life or vice versa i can't blame him for being upset um you know dan landing talked him out of the transfer portal earlier this offseason now he's back in it um he was probably reassured some you know 
decent role, but uh, he's only had 11 catches through seven games. So I can't blame him for being upset. Um, hope he takes his talent somewhere where he can be better utilized and make something uh, of his last uh, years of eligibility. That's a great point, Jack. You know, a lot of these players, other than Seven, were in the transfer portal and were convinced by Lanning to stay. And, seven, you know, Sean Dollars was one of those, and he's, you know, he's he's had, had a, a bigger role. Week. He had a great game last week. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, he's had a bigger role than he's had in any year before, even though he, he was hurt last year. Like, this is a bigger role that he's, that he's had this year than I even expected him to have. Um, and Seven wasn't, you know, given the role that he was probably – um, told he would have and you know that's not for lack of talent I think he's a talented player from the spurts we've seen on the field um, and I think he will find a place where he can you know show off that talent in my opinion yeah I think the transfer is good for both parties you know when you have a a player who's that polarizing to, I mean as your eighth receiver that's just a distraction at that point and then you're pressuring Bo Nix to get the ball to him when he's already got chemistry with the Troy Franklins and, and, you know, the Chase Codas. And, I mean, look who they're getting next year. They're bringing in Jurian Dickey, Ashton Cozart. Seven McGee probably won't be the last receiver to transfer out of here because it's already a crowded room with Dante Thornton and Chris Hudson. So, I mean, on the Seven McGee side of things, I hope he, I hope he balls out. I hope he finds a place and does well. And then I, I think it's good for, for Oregon, too. I think it's a great po- another great point. Like, just the Seven McGee, that talent level is the eighth on the depth chart is just a testament to how deep, uh, you know, Oregon's wide receiver room is. This is one of the deepest we've seen, at least since I've been a student at Oregon. There were years past when Johnny Johnson was the best receiver on the team. I think there's probably one or two receivers that are better than him on this team. Um, and, and McGee's a talented guy, like I mentioned, and to have him as your eighth option on, on the receiver depth chart is, you know, it's, I can understand why he wanted to, to transfer. And you're right. Those are, there are some really good recruits coming to Oregon. That's all we have. Unless you guys have another thing on, on this football team that's, you know, hoping to make a playoff push towards the end of the season. Um, if not, we'll let it go. Any closing Broncos thoughts, boys? Broncos country, let's hide. Broncos country. (laughs) Sell high.